Hey, it's Candy O'Terry, and welcome to episode number three of The Speaker Coach. Now, in our last session, we learned all about filler words and upspeak, also known as uptalk. These are bad habits, and I hear them as a communications coach all across the country. The goal of this podcast is to help you become a powerful communicator. And filler words like um and ah and so and like and you know underestimate our intentions because we sound like we don't know what we're talking about. And when we use up speak or up talk, we end our sentences on an up note. And the result is that instead of making a statement, we sound like we're asking a question. And again, there goes our credibility right out the window. Bad habits like the use of filler words and up speak and negative body language Like we talked about in episode number one, poor eye contact, bad posture, not owning your space, being closed instead of being open. These are signals of a lack of confidence sometimes. And that is the subject of today's episode. I've brought in a pro to teach you all about what confidence really is and what it isn't. She is a six-time author and co-founder of the American Confidence Institute, and I'm proud to have taken one of her courses. Her book and her TEDx are called Confidence is a Choice. Her name is Alyssa DeVere, and she is a leading expert on confidence. Alyssa, welcome to The Speaker Coach. How are you? When I'm with you, Candy, I'm always great. So thank you for having me. You said that so confidently. (laughs) (laughs) True, that's why. All right, so let's get right down to it. Are we born with confidence? We are not born with confidence. That's the good news and the bad news, of course. There's no DNA or genetic marker that says you are confident or you're not. If you were counting on the fact that you were just lucky or not, I'm not sure which uh, side of the fence people play on that, but it is not something you're given at birth. So that's the good news. The better news, I hope, is that you learn to be confident. And in fact, we learn it at a really young age. So let's talk a little bit, Alyssa, about the American Confidence Institute, and then also the fact that what you've been studying and what you're writing about, this is real science. Six years ago, we started the Institute, but this fascination with confidence as a topic started for me actually in college. At the time, the only obvious paths for me to pursue it professionally were going down a marketing channel and understanding what motivates people to buy or make decisions, of course, makes sense, right? As I got older, my career developed, and then I had children. My older son, who actually turned 21 this weekend, when he was eight, he was diagnosed with a neurological condition, and I became maternally motivated, really, really fearless, literally courageous to take on not only the neuroscientists that were not giving me answers, but to bravely go into research and and to do my own research as well as to dive into other people's research that as a marketer, what right did I have at the time, right? Miraculously figured a lot of things out by going cross-disciplinary and globally, I interviewed hundreds of doctors, psychologists and psychiatrists and so forth and figured out how the brain works relative to this magical thing called confidence. The Institute got born again about five years ago. Since then, we've been not only doing more research and collecting more research, but we've been developing tools and we've worked now with over a quarter million people to really prove that the science is not only true, but can really help people in developing more confidence. You know, you said the magic of confidence. So I'm going to go right back to it. 
This is the speaker coach. And what I'm trying to do is tell people, give them tools and tips and techniques so that they can become the best communicators. And at the core of being a successful communicator is someone who walks in the room and they've got confidence. If a person doesn't have a lot of confidence, how do they get it? Well, of course, this is a very big question with a, a longer answer that a podcast will support, but I want to give your listeners something to really chew on. The name of the book is Confidence is a Choice, and that says a lot. It is not something that is a result. It's a requirement as part of everything we do, every decision we make, every interaction we have with other people, every reaction we have to the world, and of course, every action we take. So if you look at it that way and neurologically and definitionally, again, the book and the TED Talk all go into the details of why this is true. The fundamental fact is we decide to be confident. And when you take the reins of that candy, you take the initiative to say to yourself, I get to decide to be confident, not the world, not other people, that in and of itself is empowering. Now, start with that basis. And then we can build on all kinds of tips and tools that not only make that decision easier, but help us recover on the days. Like even today, I woke up and I felt a little off and there were things that happened that kind of jolted my confidence. So we need to have the ability to grab tips and techniques at our fingertips that help us get back on that horse, if you will. I love the fact that you kind of grab that phrase, the magic of confidence, because it's not magic. It's magical when you understand it, but it's not magic. It's something that everybody has. I love to tell people this because it's really true. We all have that superpower. We just don't know how to use it. So the subtitle of the book is Confidence is a Choice, Real Science. It's all baked in neuroscience, brain science, but you have superhero impact when you embrace it and you utilize it for yourself. And by the way, you can give it to everybody around you too. One of the ways that you had spoken to me about when I took one of your courses was how we can build confidence through small wins. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, small wins is a great technique, and it's borrowed, if you will, from the athletic community. They've been practicing this forever, but you see small wins in any behavioral change program these days. And the concept's very simple. If you have a big project or big goal, let's say you decide you're going to lose 20 pounds or you're going to run a marathon or whatever that big task objective is, you break it into much smaller bits so that maybe today you only run a quarter of a mile and then the next day maybe you run a half a mile. Or if you are losing weight, instead of saying to yourself, oh, I got to lose 20 pounds, you know, this week I'm going to lose one pound. Now, of course, if you've been to Weight Watchers, you know that's their mantra, like two pounds a week. If you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, it's one day at a time. So this small wins mentality is pervasive in, like I said, many behavioral change programs. But the key behind it is when you have a small win, not only do you accomplish something in the right direction, you actually trigger some neurotransmission, which is these organic hormones and feel good chemicals that go into our brain that make us feel accomplished. So we get a little shot of dopamine just from celebrating and recognizing that one pound or I did that quarter mile today, I set a goal and I achieved it. And that perpetuates us and it motivates us to wanna to do it again and again. So it's really key towards achieving that goal and of course keeping our confidence at its full best. 
I've also learned from you, and I hope you'll pass it along to our listeners, that our brains can and do learn new things. You can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm still working on my pooch on that, but for sure, at least humans can learn new tricks. My favorite word in the English language is neuroplasticity. And again, I learned it as part of my maternal motivation story before with my son uh, when we were trying to diagnose what his issue was. And through the power of neuroplasticity, which means that your brain is plastic, and it's not literally plastic, like made of chemicals like that, but it's plastic in the sense that it changes over time. And the way it changes over time is through your interest and willingness to do new things, to learn new things, to think and choose to be confident. And when you do that, you create new neural pathways, literally physical as well as electrical pathways in your brain that become default thoughts, behaviors, and beliefs. And so the ability to change your brain, what is so exciting about it is anyone can do it. And at the same time, you could do it any time in your life. They show that even through our 70s, we have the ability to change our brains like that. No excuses anymore, Candy. We have to go out and brave new things and learn things all the time. And your listeners on here are obviously changing their brain just listening to the podcast. There's also a time in our lives when we are the most confident. An age. Tell us what it is. Oh, goodness. Well, we started before talking about young kids and how we kind of have that brazen courageousness, which is really not confidence. It really is more courage. It turns out that we don't peak as individuals on average to age 60, 60. It's kind of humorous, especially if you're at that age, you'll probably giggle out there that the reason all the 60 year olds reported that that was their confident best is they finally let go of caring what other people think about. In other words, they don't take feedback or criticism terribly seriously, and they find their values, needs, and wants finally, and they live in light of what they deem as successful. So they just don't care what other people think about them anymore. I am <laughs> what I am, right? <laughs> I am what I am, and it's all good. And But you know how sad it takes us 60 years old. So my mission is to help people hack that and really have a much happier, more confident life well before they're 60. You know, one of the things that I struggle with as a communications coach is to help my clients overcome their fear of public speaking. And fear is the number one killer of confidence. What do you think about that? Oh, for sure. Well put. There's all kinds of fears. And the fears that we circle around when we think about what really triggers our confidence crises are three fears. It's the fear of failure, the fear of regret, and the fear of rejection. As in speaking, and I, I know you know the statistic well that most people would rather die than give up public speech, right? You think about failing, sure, you don't want to fail on stage, of course. Regretting something you're going to say for sure, but the strong one, and it's always, I would say, really the strongest one in most cases, but particularly in public speaking, is you don't want to be rejected. You want people not to like you. And if you think about that rationally, it is a relatively irrational fear, but that's what's at the heart of it. At the very heart of it is we all just want to be loved <laughs> and accepted for who we are, right? Absolutely. And we have to wait 60 years, unfortunately, to love ourselves, which is really the key to all of it. So I hope people are listening really kind of almost giggle at some of this almost irony or paradox because the sooner we can understand what's important to us and who we are as individuals, not what we are, but who we are, it comes through every pore, every word, 
every facial expression, that confidence shines through and it illuminates not just the room that, that you walk in, but it actually gets picked up by all the people around you. They, they absorb it through something else in, in the neurological world called mirror neurons. And so the superpower that we have, really don't underestimate it, that not only can you influence people just by what you say and do, but that confidence, even if you don't say anything, you walk in that room, that's like a perfume that you wear, right? It just permeates. It's, it's a beautiful thing. That's what I call star power. I call it awesome. COVID-19 is testing our confidence. Talk about that. COVID-19 is testing everything, our confidence, our patience, <laughs> everything for sure. You know, one of the things that is very hard to deal with right now is our, our safety, right? We're, we're scared that we're going to have to be impacted personally, family members, friends, and so forth. That safety level, and into psychology, you may recall Maslow's hierarchy, but safety is a really important piece of our well-being. And unless we feel safe, it's hard for our brains and subsequently all our confidence in our brains to come to its fullest potential. It really is almost pulling us downstairs into our cape person parts of our brain, like the brainstem, because when we are challenged, our fundamental well-being is challenged it's really hard to get all the intellectual decision-making in a confident place. What would your advice be to one of our listeners who is working very hard on their public speaking and they just feel as if they need a little work on their confidence? Could you give them something that you think they should work on or what they should do to make themselves feel a little more confident, something that might work pretty quickly? I have been working as a public speaker now for more than a decade. And what I mean by that is that's how I earn my living. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't given this one piece of advice, which was to realize that you have something to share with that audience and they're there to get that gift. And if you let go of your own preoccupations with how you look, what you're saying and speaking, not to ignore all those great tips that you put in the front, because they're important to stand and say with elegance as much as you can. But if you put in your brain that you're there to do something of real value for that audience, you are a vessel to them, it takes some of the monkey off the back. Again, neurologically, I can explain it in detail, but I think the basic premise here that's so beautiful that changed the way that I spoke was that they're not there to judge me, they wanna learn from me. And as a teacher, as someone who has information and a gift to give, that just made me feel like I had a reason and a purpose to be there and made all the difference in the way I speak. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest on The Speaker Coach. The book is called Confidence is a Choice. That is the same name as her TEDx talk, which you got to go check out. Absolutely phenomenal. And the website is called AmericanConfidenceInstitute.com. Alyssa DeVere, thank you so much for being on the show. Such a pleasure, Candy. Thank you. You heard it from a pro. Confidence is a learned behavior. We are not born with confidence. You've got to choose to be confident when you wake up in the morning. And when you make that choice, people will notice that there's just something a little bit different about you. And just like an athlete who is training for a marathon by breaking their run down into smaller intervals, approach your goal of learning confidence around public speaking by starting out small. So here's your assignment. Write your elevator pitch. The rules are no more than 60 seconds long. 
Your elevator pitch is quite simply who you are, what you do, but you have to tell it in a memorable way. So make it interesting. It's what you would say in an elevator if someone turned to you and said, so what do you do? Create your elevator pitch as a Word document. Don't just scratch it out on a piece of paper that you can't read well. And when you're done, read it out loud. Use your phone to time it out. Eliminate any words that you trip over. Because if you trip over a word when you're practicing it, you will trip over it again when you do it live or if you include it in a speech down the road. I promise you this is true. I learned it as a broadcaster. Any words I'd trip over in the newsroom, I would just cross them right out of my script. If the elevator pitch is less than a minute, good for you. If it's more than a minute, you got to start eliminating words, phrases, even sentences that don't make the story better. Now start practicing your elevator pitch in a mirror. Do your belly breathing first so that you can get yourself into a groove. You're lowering your cortisol. You're raising your endorphins. Watch your body language in the mirror. Are you standing up straight? Are you smiling when it's appropriate? What's your energy like? Are you using the power of the pause to make your pitch even more effective? Practice your elevator pitch every single day until it becomes part of who you are, until it just flows right out of you and feels like the perfect fit. And then create an opportunity to practice it in front of someone else. Maybe you've got a new neighbor. Ask him or her what they do for a living. And then offer to tell them what you do for a living and give them your elevator pitch. The more you try and practice this, the better you will get. Your brain is creating new pathways that will remember how this feels. And it feels good. And when it feels good, we want to do it again and again and again. And that's where mastery comes in. And that's how confidence grows. I've got so much more I've got to share with you through the course of all these episodes. There's a confidence tip sheet on my website, along with a link to Alyssa's book, Confidence is a Choice. If you liked this episode, please hit that subscribe button. Leave a review if you want as well. And tell your friends. Reach out anytime to me, candy at candyoterry.com. And remember, no matter how you sound, I can make you sound better. <laughs>